Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going, Dave? Doing pretty good, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just a, a quick uh, mention, I am recording on a different machine tonight with a different piece of software. So if the audio sounds different, that's why. And uh, so... I don't know, we're just doing this episode as a test, and we'll see if we keep doing it going forward. And uh, if we hear some fans spinning up, that's because I'm on the Windows machine, and hopefully the audio software will cut all of that out for us, but you never know. But I'll be recording it like 120 frames a second, so... Wait a second. That's not how that works. Yeah. Anyway, how's it going, Dave? Good, been... Uh playing with my my little vr play space yeah do you have a name for that uh yes it is vr play space okay it it doesn't have a name because i don't i don't even have a game yet i'm playing with some concepts this is almost like pre-prototyping it's hey does xyz work yes yeah um I'm not meaning like a product name. I just mean like, like I have the sandbox app that I go to whenever I want to test out new stuff in Unity. And it's just a project where I dump a bunch of stuff and try different things. It's just useful to have some kind of name. In my local parlance, that's a PlaySpace app. Okay. And so this is my VR PlaySpace. Cool. So what are you doing in there? So, as we previously discussed, I've got uh, kind of pushing and pulling gravity wells that I can place around the board and then throw cubes into this space and see how they react and how they move and um, adjust things of that nature. And so I kind of said, okay, I've got something to play with. Now let's see if we can measure some things against this. Just kind of starting and the first one that i came up with was hang time like if once you throw the cube how long can you keep it in the air and so there was measuring that and then there was uh adding conditions to make sure that for example when i first started you could drop a cube on the ground far enough from the gravity wells that it wouldn't pull and then you could take another cube and drop that on top of the first one and it never touches the ground (laughs) infinite hang time um that (laughs) wasn't all that great um actually right now you can still throw the cube over the side and it will fall until the game engine culls it and that's also a really long hang time but right now it'll stop if you touch the ground touch the uh another cube or touch one of the singularities one of the gravity wells um And so you can just kind of lob these things around. And once I started having that stuff work, I then needed some way, some form of UI where I could display to a user how they were doing. Or even just for me, be able to see that the countdown timer starts for certain events and then stops for certain other events. So I could just always see whether I was kind of recording or not. Mm -hmm. Um. And that's sort of getting me into kind of in-game VR UI and the difficulties therein. 
not so much difficulties. Let's call them challenges. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple different things that come to mind when you say that. The first is like a, some kind of controller display. Um, like you say in a lot of games, like one of the controllers will be kind of an information device with some stats on it. Um, sometimes they'll even make it into like a MacGuffin for the game. Um, other things would be clicking the menu button and bringing up the menu, but that's not really what you're looking for. In this case, this is something that needs to be around all of the time. <clears throat> um, Virto Studio has a combination of the first one and the third one, which is actual 3D objects in space. So they've got one controller that's basically the palette for all of the modeling functions in the app. Um, but you can also bring up a toolbar and just stick it anywhere in the space and just have it stick to a wall or have it just stay relative to where you're looking, just off in the distance. Um, it was pretty cool that way. So yeah, let me, let me what clarify you... a little bit because to a certain degree, I'm not really looking for menuing at this stage. No. Like that may happen eventually. But at this point, I just want some place where I can put some text and numbers to display for the user. Yeah. And so the one that I started playing with was basically, uh, it was almost like silk screening the text right onto the surface of my terrain. Because in this particular case, I'm talking about hang time. It's like, how long does this box not touch the ground? So I started playing with the idea of kind of putting the text that you care about on the surfaces that you care about. So on the ground, it says hang time target two seconds mm -hmm. and then when you throw a cube that two seconds starts counting down and if you succeed then it writes the text right there on the floor success and so that's always kind of stationary in the world but it's written kind of right underneath the gravity wells that you'd be throwing at so it's not going to be missable by the user they're not going to have to go hunting for it or something like that. And I may be able to give them some, give the user some simple hints about what the elements of the board are that you care about. You know what I mean? Like, this is about the floor. If it's about uh, looping around one of the gravity wells, you know, try and get two orbits or something like that. I can actually put it on, like, float it off the gravity well. And let it just be out there. So I started playing with that. And the first step was trying to get some decent looking 3D text to appear in an editable form on an object. In this case, a plane for the floor. And that took a couple of hours. Really? Yeah. Um, there are some oddities to the way that Unity deals with these things. That like once I now that I know how to do it, I could do it in five minutes pretty much anytime I want to. But figuring it out, it had a lot of non-intuitive steps to it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever even momentarily played with the 3D text object. You know, add a game object of 3D text to the overall organization of a scene. But any text that you put there, no matter what size you pick, always looks horrible. <laughs> nice. Always. It always looks really, really blocky and terrible. And it's because by default, Unity wants to use the Arial font 
and then they won't let you override any of its initial settings. So it is the texture that they used to generate that font. Basically, you convert the font to a texture and then write the texture onto surfaces based upon the text that you fed it. Mm-hmm. It actually ends up being a really <clears throat> quick way to write text onto the screen. Yeah, I mean, that beats um, 3D modeling each letter. Oh, yes, yes. Um, the So the, the difficulty that you run into is because of that default, somehow with the way it's set up, you can't override it. So it's only set up to look decent at like a 16-point font. Which in the particular scale that we're dealing with in a game, particularly in a VR game, that's useless. It's just horrible. Like it might be okay if you were doing one of those floating UIs on a computer screen. Mm -hmm. Like that might work okay for say like logging purposes or something like that. But aside from that, this is not a useful font in its form. You could just attach it to the user's head really close, like a, you know, a VR Google Glass substitute. I could, but I didn't really want that. So that sounds terrible. Um, uh, I'm not even saying I'm not going to say that I'm not going to do that someday. Because <laughs> I think it would look really cool if you did just the right thing with it. But in this particular case, totally not what I'm going for. And so you try and write on a floor with like foot tall letters and everything looks terrible. It's really, really, really blocky. Like beyond Minecraft level blocky. Um, so it took some digging to kind of go around and figure out how you fix this problem. And so here's kind of what you have to do. The first step is go find a font. Um, I mean, the the easiest way to do that is download one from some source because I couldn't even dig into the font folders on the machine because Windows security was telling Unity that I didn't have access to those folders. It's like, Hmm. I don't want to edit. I just want to read it, but it wouldn't even let me go in there when I was using the picker inside Unity to add a, a, a new asset. There may be a way to make that happen, but... One of my least favorite things to do in the world is beat my head against windows. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let's just go to a website, download some freeware font and throw it in. And you can do that and it works fine. So now you've got a font. Now that font will also default to like a 16 or 20 point font. And to make it look good bigger, you need a much higher point font. So you then have to like double click on the font to bring up the editor for the font information and change the base font size. I threw it up to like a hundred point. And a hundred point font, if you shrunk it down, would look fine smaller. So I'm making really large textures for the font, but it'll work for pretty much anything that I want to do with it at that point. So now I've got the font at an appropriate resolution. We're all done, right? Not even close. So... If you try and use that font that you just created and tell the 3D text object to use that font, you get garbage. It's like weird masked. I think it's pieces of the font, but it just looks like um, a damaged version of a alien 
font from like a bad Star Trek episode. Nice. It's just not usable. So now you have to make a material. So you make a material specifically for that font. And then you can make the texture for the material, the texture map that's defined inside the font definition. So you crack open the font, drag that thing over. Okay, now. Now we have a material. And the material will key off of the font. And that's good. So you got your then your 3D text object and set the font to your new font and then set the material to your new material. And then it'll actually look kind of okay. It'll, it'll kind of look... It might even look decent in the, the editor. As soon as you hit play, it starts swimming. It starts floating in weird ways and parts of it are becoming visible and invisible because the text object that you added to the plane that is the floor is literally at the exact same height as the floor. Mm. And so depending upon exactly what angle you look at the object from, portions of that text will be underneath the plane versus over the plane because they're at literally the exact same height. So then what you have to do is you have to adjust the position of the text object to float like a thousandth of an inch or a thousandth of a, of a unit mm-hmm. above the surface of the floor. So that when the renderer is drawing that stuff, it will always hit the font before it hits the floor. Um, so you got that. Now, the trick there then is you also have to remember that every single time you try and reposition that text, like dragging it around in the editor... Unity, for whatever reason, will go ahead and snap that back to the floor level. So every time you reposition the text, you have to reset it to be above the surface of the floor. Again and again. Now, if you decide that you want to use a different font, like, for example, the first font that I grabbed looked great, but actually didn't have any under or uh, lowercase characters. <laughs> it was all caps. And I wanted some lowercase just for visual style Mm -hmm. so i had to go to a different font so it's bringing in a new font change the resolution change the texture map on the material now go to the text object and change the material and the font definition there and then you're okay if at no point unity decided to re-snap the thing to the surface of the floor (laughs) and it just strikes me as, as like that's so circuitous Either there's a feature there that I don't understand. Like the having this number of steps gives you the ability to do X, Y, Z. That's really, really cool that I don't see yet. Mm-hmm. Or it's a 1.0 feature that nobody ever went back and took a look at again. Cause if <laughs> I go, Hey, I've got a font here. Let me put some text on a surface. Your, your initial user experience is horrible. And you're going to have a tough time figuring out what the answer is until you go doing some digging. Um, but once you get yeah. it done, it looks fantastic. Yeah, this may just be one of those features that not many people use in Unity and everybody use some common third-party asset. Could be. Could be. Um, well, when you're done with all of that, the text looks really good. You kind of mess with its orientation and you can edit the text live so it's better in that way than using 
a set of normal textures. Mm-hmm. I can literally just, whatever text I want to put, it'll just start spooling out onto the floor. I can do text alignment and things like that. It's actually pretty cool. But it did take a while to get working right. The other thing is that as far as I can tell, it doesn't appear to respect all of the character spacing. Hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure on this because it's possible that just every single font that I've grabbed is poorly defined. <laughs> um, but if I tell it to always display, like the time to display is like a three-digit number, or, or uh, uh, whatever the whole number is, dot three decimal places. Those three decimal places will not always take up the same width. Mm, that's annoying. Basically, for the all the normal numbers, you know, let's say uh, two through nine and then zero, they're all the same width. But no matter what I do, the one is always a narrower width. Hmm. Now, again, that may just be an issue with the way the particular font is defined. But it does make the numbers actually jump around a little bit. And I'm trying to figure out how to fix that one. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of backflips and jumping around. But when it was done, I I now know how to do it. And it's going to be really easy to do in all sorts of places. So if I want to float a number off of anything angled in any particular way, it will not be hard. So that same concept would work for the trick of hanging things off the controller or hanging things off of any floating object or writing on floor or walls or the sky. I can now put text wherever I want. It's just that, boy, there's a couple of steps to that process. <laughs> Fun. Um, so this doesn't really have anything to do with 3D text, but I just wanted to mention the one app that has kind of a score-based UI and a timer built in is Hollow Ball. And it's on the ceiling. You just look up anytime you're playing. You just glance up really quickly and you can see how many points you have and the length of the match. And it's just, you know, it's great big. You can't miss it. Um, But it's just a nice touch. Like it's way, it's out of your way while you're playing the game. But you can just glance at it really easily without uh, messing yourself up. There's also a a kind of HTML light that you can use for styling that text. So as I'm editing the text on the fly in my code, I can make a particular character bold or something like that really easily by just throwing stuff at the screen. So that's also kind of cool. It's got basic stuff for like bold and italics and underline and like font size. So that was that was pleasant. I was glad that there was some sort of really easy styling thing there. Um, but yeah, playing with the fonts is a little bit of a pain in the butt. Fun. <clears throat> I think it was in VRTK they had a, a little help module where you could actually print the uh, content of the console out in VR, which uh, okay. is... You know, fun and useful when you're developing, but it could be kind of a fun to like ship a quote unquote broken game 
that you have to fix. You just have to debug through the errors that you get from the console as the game is playing. <laughs> oh, Joe. <laughs> See, anybody who actually wanted to do that would make their own fake console with fake console messages. Your answer is, no, 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 use the real debugger. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just, just ship it. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> um, I am nothing but full of bad ideas. Yeah. I, of, I even had a, a hysterically bad idea earlier when I was spending a couple minutes wasting some time and I was playing Universal Paper Clips and I noticed that even on this machine it seems to take as much computational power as it can get. And I thought about, you know, you know, I'm running a pretty decently high-end gaming laptop. It'd be kind of funny to put make a little Chrome extension that puts a uh, frame rate counter in the corner on the page of Universal Paper Clips. <laughs> like, you're not playing this game at, you know, 160 frames a second. But, but it's the web browser. <laughs> Anyway. So then I, I basically ended up learning that if you grab onto one of my cubes and throw it into the air as high as you can, it'll get you about 2.1, 2.2 seconds of hang time. Just have you tried Have you tried um, miniaturizing the VR player to maybe like one-tenth of the scale and then just walking into the gravity wells or teleporting just like get yourself in there and just see what happens like do you slingshot around for a while can you make that into a thing you probably could make it into a thing um but if you did the whole way that the gravity wells work is by accelerating objects in particular directions mm -hmm. that's about the worst possible case for VR use generating motion sickness. I think I mean, it might be interesting, fun. but it's <laughs> And now that you've mentioned it, now I kind of have to do it. Yeah. I um, mean, you're talking to the guy who attached a VR camera to a spinning asteroid a couple weeks ago. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I mentioned that on the show, but I had this uh, asteroid pack so. that I was using in something and they just had a sample scene of like different rotations and movements through scenes for some of their sample assets. And one of them was just really violent, just random rotations and just speeding along the scene, basically just a, a path. And uh, just for the heck of it, I attached the VR camera to it, sat down on my office floor and hit play and just rocketed through this scene, like in every direction. <laughs> it was pretty great. I wouldn't ask anybody else to do that, though. So yeah, so that's that's been kind of my fun. Um, there was some some little cleaning up work and things like that. That kind of constant refactoring and uh, cleaning stuff up. It has it for its first sound sample, which I have to figure out how to record bad audio in Windows. Because right now I have to record bad audio on my Mac and then pass the file over. There's a, a little app called Voice Recorder that's built into Windows 10. It should be enough for bad audio. 
that should do it. So what have you been working on? So I guess mostly consulting stuff. Um, so not a lot of VR this week. Just uh, getting back to business, which is a little bit more boring. I did have time to work on that article that you mentioned last week, the Ray Winderlich article um, about just some basic interactions with Steam VR, and got some stuff set up with that. I basically got to the same point in the article you did when they're like, "Okay, laser pointer." I'm like, "Okay, goodbye." <laughs> um, but I used that to, you know, I just I did that in a in a uh, separate project, and then pulled a copy of some of those scripts into one of the three versions of the project that I have now. <laughs> um, there's <clears throat> there's the the version I've been working on the whole time. There's the VRTK version that I played with, and there's the I'm going to see what Unity 2018.1 looks like version, which is not looking too great <laughs> at this point, unless I want to rewrite all of the shaders in the world. That was using that new uh, lightweight VR pipeline, which is why that looks really weird. Mm. Um, other than that, I think it's fine, but I'm still working in 2017.3. Anyway, I worked through that article and I got some basic interaction stuff working. I can pick things up and throw them. Um, I was really fascinated with the bounty balls in that tutorial. I'm not sure if you saw that because you didn't download their sample content, but they've got a bounty ball physics material that is actually a lot of fun, which would actually be kind of fun with your game, throwing a bounty physics material on the cubes and seeing when they hit the floor, can they bounce off and change their velocity? Um, maybe put a like an inverted cube around the gravity wells. So basically like stand inside a cube, throw a bouncy ball at the wall and see how the gravity wells affect them. Maybe you have one in each corner or one in the center of each wall on the floor, the ceiling, something like that. You did send me that sample code, so I may just have to do some of this myself. <laughs> once, you start, once you start putting gravity wells in the middle of the air in your world, you're stuck for a while. Like, you yeah. can't do anything but just throw stuff at those things. You can have fun by making your gravity wells invisible. Because um, then you throw things and they just move in weird ways for no apparent reason until you mm -hmm. can kind of map out where the gravity wells are in the world which also sounds like a completely different game it would be kind of cool can i turn the gravity wells on and off uh the gravity wells have a uh, like a script object attached or a script uh, component attached at least in mine that is just called singularity and all it does is publish a public uh, property called force. And so with that, you could override that at any point. If you set that force to zero, the singularity does not attract or repel. Okay. It could be kind of cool in the game I'm working on. Some of the enemy turrets could just have like a an audio cue and just like a pulsing visual effect when they're turning the gravity well on and off. So maybe it's on for two seconds, it's off for two seconds, and you've got to mm -hmm. use that to get around that as a mechanic. That could be kind of fun. Anyway, so I was working on that article. 
um, after I started working with the camera prefab and made some of the interaction stuff that you mentioned, um, I then made a really basic movement script using the same type of code. And it's about the 10th attempt at making VR movement and eventually got it working yesterday morning. Um, it, you know, there was some stuff I've just kind of like piecing together from that article. And it was actually an email from you asking me about the Steam VR simulator that made me realize like, hey, there's probably a good example of how to get some of this done in that code for the fallback camera. So I went and looked at that class that's included with the Steam VR interaction toolkit and kind of picked apart how to get the movement up and running. It's not that much different than movement in a 3D game, um, but I needed to flatten out the uh, Y axis when you're looking around because no one's ever looking exactly straight on the ground or parallel with the ground. So I needed to kind of flatten that out and eventually found a couple of things on Stack Overflow that pointed me in the right direction. But it was like a good 45 minutes of Joe just like flipping the X and Y and flipping the plus and minus. And like, how about this combination of these things? Okay, okay, now I'm going the wrong way really, really fast. Like, you know, just <laughs> now I'm going straight up. And uh, yeah, just a, you know, a lot of weird stuff. Eventually got it working. Um, and the version I have, I have it working pretty well with the camera rig and with the interaction toolkit only for some reason when for some reason I actually had to hard code the controllers to indexes not hard code but use the inspector to do it in the interaction toolkit where I didn't have to do that with the camera prefab and I'm not crazy about that um, but there were some other issues I found with the interaction toolkit messing up with some of the materials I'm using the uh, Sobol effects shader or Sobol effects image effects that I'm using on the interactable objects, the interaction toolkit or interaction system, interactable and throwable object scripts were breaking those materials when you pick objects up. So I'm not crazy about that anyway. So I'll probably leave that aside and just work on the camera rig. And then, so I made this, uh, this movement script that basically, um, I started working with the forward vector of the headset and then added, added an option for the controller. And the way it works now is you push, you touch anywhere on the trackpad. Um, if it's you know in the Northern hemisphere of it, you will go forward. If it's in the Southern hemisphere, you go backwards and it does use the axis. Actually, no, I don't think it does. I think I just hard coded it to one for now. Um, but it's easy enough to swap that out for the axis value if you want to like slowly creep around the corner and then accelerate. And then I have a non-working speed modifier to when you click down on the trackpad to double the speed or to apply some speed boost. But for some reason, the call that I'm doing to that isn't working. So I'm probably just passing in the wrong string looking for that button. Hmm. But uh, it's up and working. Um, so now that I can move around and stay on the ground, I need to figure out how to leave the ground. So I've locked myself on the Y axis and now I can't leave when I'm like going up a slope or a flight of stairs or something like that. 
and there's you know I tried a couple different things I tried attaching a rigid body to the player and a capsule collider um, it was still like floating right through stuff um, I tried taking apart the player prefab and the interaction system and basically they just have an entire game object with a capsule collider and a rigid body and a script that adjusts the position of the capsule collider based on the player's head so it'll adjust the position and the height of it and just kind of scale it up and down as you move hey, around here's a a kind of stupid question mm -hmm. do you actually have gravity turned on in your game yes because at one point when i was playing with it i was throwing cubes around and they were non-gravity cubes so they would just kind of float around which I thought was yeah. really cool, but if you never turned gravity on, then adding the rigid body and the capsule collider to your player wouldn't do anything. Well, gravity, I don't think gravity is like a universal setting like that. At least if it is, it's on by default because those cubes just had gravity turned off on the rigid body, the one you're okay. referring to. Okay. I think it's I think that's always controlled by the the rigid body. I don't know if there's a universal setting or not. There is a universal setting somewhere in the physics settings hmm. um, so that you could do, you could make gravity go to different places or something like that. Like gravity is always to the left rather than down. Oh, okay. That kind of thing. Or you can also adjust the gravity constant. So if you wanted to do gravity, but you wanted to do lunar gravity rather than earth gravity, you could make that setting, and that's going to be in uh, edit project settings physics, I think. Yeah, right up top, there's a what direction gravity goes and by how much. Hmm. I wonder if you can change that at runtime. That I do not know, but I mean, it shows up as an inspector property. There's probably a decent chance you can do it. I can make a pretty cool, like, falling elevator simulator. Just to scare <laughs> the crap out of people. <laughs> Great, Joe. You're just not going to be happy until somebody hurls, right? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Like, as soon as you can get somebody to puke in the middle of your living room, you'll be happy, and then you can move, and then you can do something else with your life. <laughs> I just like moving around in VR. So anyway, I tried a couple different things. Um, when I was talking to Jason at COG yesterday, he mentioned just turning on nav mesh, add a nav mesh to the scene and add a nav mesh agent to the player and see if that works. And I tried that last night and it does work reasonably well. Um, it keeps me grounded. I can't fall off of things at that point or jump off of things. I'm only, I can only move where the nav mesh can allow me to move. So I'd have to add those uh, nav mesh something something annoying connector things anytime i want to make like a jump from one service down to another it's it's doable it's just kind of tedious work um so i may i'm probably just going to use that for the time being as i continue like i just feel like i've, I've been stuck on this one issue for a couple of weeks and i'm kind of bored with it so i might just for the rest of the sandbox and prototype phase just turn the nav mesh thing on and use that for now and see if I can replace it later. I did look at a third-party asset um, in the store and played with that last night and it's pretty close to what I want, but it's also weird. 
So what I have right, right now, I started using the forward vector of the headset and then I added an option to change that based on the controller. And I was in, I initially had the trackpad go forward or backward depending on where your thumb was. I changed it to just be a button basically. Just push the acceleration button and then just move in whatever direction the controller is pointing. And I found that just way more intuitive. If you want to go backward, just point it over your shoulder. Um, it's just a lot easier to steer that way. And it also allows you to kind of look different directions than you're traveling and just kind of pick whichever arm you want to be your navigator and use that. And you can switch between them really easily. Um, just basically whichever one is active is the one that's working. The I need to make a check in there that they don't both get applied at the same time because um, <laughs> that could get confusing. So this, this third-party thing that I tried last night, it works. They've got a bunch of different examples for navigation and movement in VR. Some of them are really, really cool. The basic movement one is the one I'm trying to get up and running. And they've got something very similar to what I'm doing, but they're accounting for gravity and physics, and they're doing it all in code. Um, so I haven't really pieced together how to do it all yet. They are just you know, wrapping up a camera rig prefab and just extending that. So it's possible for me to take apart and figure out how it works. The problem is there's they just shipped a new version a couple of weeks ago and it's buggy. I sent them an email last night and waiting to hear from the developers. But basically, if you you've got an option of um, do you want to apply navigation to both controllers, the left controller or the right controller? So you start with both. If they're not both facing in the same direction, then you go in a weird direction, which that's not ideal. That's not going to work for what I want. Um, it works fine if, you, if both controllers are facing in roughly the same direction, but if you have one of them you know, down the side pointing to the floor and one of them pointing in the direction you want to go, that's not going to work. So I tried switching it to right, right hand. They messed something up <laughs> with the way they're indexing the controllers because the controls were on the right hand, but it was using the forward vector of the controller in the left hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's very broken. I, I laugh. But that is totally the kind of thing that I would do. Yeah. Like when I first started working on grabbing things and being able to pick them up and move them around in VR, I had a, a like my my right controller wouldn't work. It just nothing that I did would make the stupid thing work. And about an hour and a half in to trying to debug this thing, I realized that the little uh, collider that I had made at the end of the controller that I would use to pick things up with, I had turned off the checkbox. <laughs> nice. That collider was inactive, therefore that controller never collided with target objects. So, yeah. Yeah. That'll make you crazy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it did, I believe. So yeah, I sent an email to those folks, and uh, hopefully they'll get back to me. They somebody re responded to the email like, "Hey, you should sign up for Discord and communicate with us there." I'm like, "No, thanks. <laughs> like, I'm not signing up for another chat service just to get support for a Unity plugin." Anyway, I think the the nav mesh thing is probably good enough for now, um, at least at this stage, and then I can. Even if I don't hear back from them or I don't get the answer that I want, 
their code is clear enough that I could probably just rip it apart and figure out how to apply something similar and just a, a little bit more basic. They have some pretty cool stuff in there for rotation as well. That's one area that, I don't know, I can see both ways of like, you should just rotate by turning around. Like that gets annoying. Um, and also I don't, not everything I'm doing in VR should be governed by real world physics. I want to do some kind of weird and more abstract stuff. So I'd rather just be, be able to like very quickly move around a huge environment that I couldn't do realistically. I think I think too many people working in VR right now are focusing too much on the reality part and not a much, not as much on the like hey the, the you know the laws of physics don't have to apply here we can do really different stuff. So I'm kind of interested in doing some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I'm quite sure that I'll end up breaking those rules at some point if singularities floating in the middle of the room in front of you don't already count. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure they do. Cause... <laughs> but the I, I end up seeing a huge difference between the world around me acting weirdly and me as a person acting weirdly. Like, to me, the magic is putting me in this amazing new place. Not necessarily. <sighs> Hitting the controller to make me turn around 180 degrees is periodically convenient, but almost always immersion breaking for me. Mm -hmm. uh, then again, we've already established that I'm a little bit more sensitive to those sorts of things than you are. So, me. Yeah, I, I guess it's not. I don't know. I guess I'm not in as into immersion as other people are. Everyone talks about like wanting to be completely immersed and like, oh, I was reminded that I was in virtual reality. I have never once forgotten the fact that I'm in virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> like I am analyzing every single thing I do when I put that headset on. I am I've never been convinced that any of this is real. Like it, it's fun, but it's I, I'm not after that sense of immersion in the same way that I hear a lot of other people talk about it. I think it's a, a very interesting computing platform where I can do things that I can't do here. I don't want to reproduce what I can do here because I can already do everything here. Like that, that doesn't have any appeal to me. Hmm. I love the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. It makes me very, very happy, which is part of the reason why I hate going to movie theaters because there's people talking in the room reminding me that I'm sitting in a room full of people and just watching a thing on screen. I like being sucked into the action. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I do too, but I just, I, at no point have I ever forgotten that I'm standing in an office with a headset on. I don't know if anybody else has or, or what, but that's just, like when I'm playing Trickster, it's a lot of fun and I, you know, can hear people coming at me from different directions and you know kind of get really into the game but it's still a video game and well, i don't there, forget about that there was that point when my phone rang and i held the phone up in front of my face and it took me a couple of seconds to realize why i couldn't see my phone yeah i just i was like just looking at the phone and looking and it, it there's no phone there oh yeah 
I'm in VR. Yeah, I've seen stuff uh, like that. More, I've seen the opposite of, opposite of that lately is like, I'll be working on my desktop and because this is the same desktop that I work on in VR when I'm in the cliff house, several times <laughs> I have tried to just spawn another window somewhere else and it doesn't work physically as well as it does in VR. I can't just create more <laughs> windows. It takes a lot longer to plug in a monitor. I love it. I would like to be able to do that very soon. Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, Magic Leap will be shipping this year. So speaking of mixed reality, I got another w- headset. Were we? <laughs> kind of. Absolutely. So how many is this, Joe? Uh, five. Five. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a it's a reasonable number of headsets for a person to have. Sure. Of course, so will six. Yeah. I do need to pick up an Oculus Rift before they like release the next version. Just to just to have one of the originals at some point for my future collection. Why don't you wait until the new ones come out and then buy an original one cheaper? I don't want a used one. I want a new one. Okay. Okay. But they're already getting cheap enough, so they keep having ridiculous sales. I'm just not crazy about making a Facebook account. (laughs) So I picked up the Samsung Odyssey. I ordered it a couple weeks ago when it finally went on sale. It had been the actually it had turned out to be the most expensive VR headset on the market for a while. Um, they released it at like close to six hundred, and then for some reason the price spiked on Amazon, even though it was still a little bit cheaper everywhere else. And with all the sales that Vive and Rift have been having, it ended up being like one of the most expensive headsets. And then it finally went on sale for three ninety nine, and. Uh, I went ahead and ordered one of those and it's here and I've used it for most of the week, most of the VR stuff I did last week. And it's it's both really, really great and has quite a few issues. So first thing, like the, the screen in it, the resolution, the colors, it just looks absolutely incredible. Like it, it is breathtakingly different than the Vive when I try them not side by side but within minutes of each other because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can't get them both running at the same time um, I did notice after using this one for a couple of days I put the, the Lenovo Explorer back on and it looked pathetic like just horrid so like I need to maybe just leave that at the co-working place so I don't have an option to use anything else when I'm there <laughs> Um, this one just, it looks really, really great. It fits very weird. So the first thing about it, it has this weird nose attachment. They probably handle the nose the worst out of any headset I've seen so far. I think Vive nails it with that little kind of plastic flap that uh, blocks out any light. And I don't see why everybody keeps trying to improve on that design, Um, but they've all failed so far. And this one was even worse. They have, I can't even describe the shape of it. You'll just have to look at a picture. Maybe I'll find something to link to. But um, basically, I ripped it out and threw it across the room. 
and uh, if I need to, I can get a replacement. But I just removed it entirely because it it was just a horrible thing. Even with that, it's still not the biggest nose area. Do I have a big nose, Dave? I not really that tell. I've noticed, but I'm not really the kind of person to go, yeah. wow, look at the nose on that guy. Yeah, I don't really look at people. So, <laughs> Like one of my friends went from shaved head to long hair in two years, and I hadn't noticed. But yeah, I don't think I have an especially big nose, but um, this thing is not made for people bigger than me. It also sits kind of weird on your head. So the Lenovo Explorer, sits, it's pretty comfortable when you get used to it. That first week, it was rather uncomfortable. Um, but once you get used to it, it basically, you put the band on and then just snap the headset into place. It kind of works like a welding helmet where the band stays in the same place and you can flip the helmet or the, the uh, screen up and down. It doesn't work great, but it's good enough and it's comfortable. It doesn't put any pressure on your face like the Vive does. And it blocks out all the light. The Samsung Odyssey, on the other hand, I was trying to wear it in the same way, but it, it doesn't have the hinge mechanism and the faceplate stays at the same angle from the band at all times. It always just snaps back to the same place. So trying to wear it the same way, I would put the band on where it was comfortable for me and the headset would pull way away from my face on the bottom to the point where I could put like two fingers between my face and the bottom of the headset. Um, so I... <laughs> Samsung actually made like a corporate YouTube video showing people how to apply the headset, which was actually kind of handy because it's a, it's not that great of a design. Basically, you adjust the ring, expand the band as, as big as it needs to be, put the faceplate directly on your face, like hold it there with your palm, and then just wherever the band happens to be, just tighten it there. And it's a little bit higher on the back of my head than I would want it to be or where I would intuitively place it. But once you tighten it down, it stays there and it works pretty well and it blocks all the light and you're up and running. So not ideal, but it is doable. It, it took me about two days to figure that out. I was actually ready to throw it back on the box and send it back because I, I couldn't see who this headset could possibly fit. <laughs> and then <laughs> there was like a, I know, a couple hundred people on Reddit having the same issue and then somebody linked to this video. Um, some of the other things I'm not crazy about, uh, the uh, lenses sit really close to the faceplate and you can't adjust them like in the Vive, you can't push them back. Um, so really not crazy about that. So I have to like kind of wedge my glasses as far up as they go on my face before I put the headset on. Um, some of the good things, obviously, the it's got built-in audio which i'm a fan of it's not as good as the vive deluxe audio strap but it's good enough the they're not as adjustable either and they're kind of in the way when you're putting the headset on but once it's on they're they're fine the controllers um they're the same design essentially as all the other mixed reality controllers but they're a little bit chunkier and the weight's evenly distributed and they're rounded um, they're just a lot more comfortable for me to hold anyway. And then, uh, I would say the biggest downside to this headset is it's got a six foot cable where I think the <laughs> Lenovo had a 10 foot and I think the Vive has a 12 foot or something like that. It's, I don't notice it at home, but I definitely noticed it yesterday when other people were wearing it and pulling on my laptop. 
I'm like, no, 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 stop. <laughs> um, so yeah, I need to be extra wary of that if I use this headset to demo anything in public because people got really close to ripping my laptop off a table yesterday. Like, um, so yeah, that's pretty much how it is so far. It looks great. Like I think this is a good preview of how good the Vive Pro will look when it ships. I think the Vive Pro will actually look a little bit better than this. I think the resolution is going to be a tiny bit higher because the lenses are, are a bit bigger and the field of view is bigger, I think, if I have that right. So what did you think? You got a chance to try it out too. Yeah, um, I agreed with basically everything that you said. Um, it, my glasses sit out from my face a little bit further, and so... Mm -hmm. I was getting a, a fairly significant amount of visual distortion from having the lenses of the headset in direct contact with the lenses of my glasses and pushing. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it wasn't... It was still good enough that I could notice that these were better lenses, but it was not just uncomfortable. It was actually degrading visual fidelity. Yeah, how these two that, things so. were touching each other. Um, we joked that I was getting your eyeball sweat <laughs> on the surface of my glasses because these things. I mean, these are these are these lenses in the headset are really really close to yeah. you. Um, the longer cable was definitely a thing. I noticed as you were mapping out the space that you almost can't get a decent sized square. It ends up with kind of a, an oblong, mm -hmm. um, which is funny when you're looking at their example of what you should do right next to it and they've got this really nice wide mapped out rectangle <laughs> and then joe would try and map out a space that you could play in and it ended up as this slightly oblong much smaller area so yes yeah. longer cable would be great either some sort of adjustability or even if it was just like two stage like glasses no glasses or something like that just to move those things out if that was the state of the art in headsets, I would be much more likely to get VR glasses, like new prescription glasses for doing VR, mm -hmm. if that was it. I was about to look at something like that with my Vive until you showed me how to adjust where those lenses are positioned, and that solved all my problems there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, and personally, I'd, I'd rather keep my glasses on because I take the headset off many, many times a day and continue writing code. So yeah. Like just, that would get annoying putting glasses on and off all day. Um, I've never been able to get VR to look right with my glasses off. No, I definitely I'm, can't. I'm nearsighted. It should theoretically work, but maybe I'm too nearsighted or something. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really... It, to sum it up in one thing, as far as the negatives of it go, it's all about more space. It's a, a longer cable, and I have a huge freaking noggin, so I need a bigger strap and all of that stuff to be at a larger scale. So for me, I had the headset at full extension, and it was still just, just the teeniest bit tight. It was tolerable. I could have handled it. But um, probably the best expression that I can come up with is 
if your head is one where if you try and put on a baseball cap and it's full extension, the baseball cap is still just a little bit too small, you're probably not going to like this headset very much. Yeah. Um, if it, you can tolerate normal size baseball caps, you're probably fine. I don't know, because you have to tighten it pretty tight to get it to stay in place. I think it's like the vibe with the deluxe audio strap is basically like wearing a really friendly cat on your head who's hugging your head. <laughs> you with me? And the uh, Samsung Odyssey is more like a brain control lobster who's stabbing you. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, I, I never quite felt it get that uncomfortable. But it was mostly got- because it was already not fitting right. Yeah, I, I used it for about two hours, kind of in, okay. in mixed reality and in Unity. And when I took it off, I had this like big red gash across my forehead. It's like, ow, <laughs> now that hurts. So on See. my head, in order to get everything fitting properly, the strap ended up being kind of so high on my head that mm-hmm. now the audio headphones are now no longer anywhere near my ears. Yeah. They're basically feeding audio into my temples, which is, you know, tolerable, but not really, it's definitely no. not immersion worth. I mean, if I, again, if, if this was the state of the art in headsets and that's where I was going to go and that's what I was going to be doing, my first step would be to pull those things off and figure out how to put on a different set of headphones because they're just, yeah. they didn't work at all for me. Not just badly horribly um yeah. but it was it was gorgeous uh i like the pretty fast setup it's way more because it's the mixed reality the setup is faster overall than trying to set up a vive with lighthouses and things like that it mm-hmm. was you set it up three or four times yesterday it was pull out the laptop pull out the headset plug in the headset map out of space go mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's pretty so, slick so I guess is you know criticism aside, I definitely like it. I'm glad I have it, and I'm going to keep using it. Um, I just this is the least adjustable headset that I've seen so far. <laughs> like it's just there's just nothing you can do to make this thing more comfortable for you if your head wasn't one of the five like head models they tested this on. Um, I I just I hope the rest of the industry doesn't think that's a good idea going forward like we'll just make a headset for this very narrow demographic and somebody else can go buy the big-headed ohio guy headset it's like i don't know we've got a pretty diverse community and so far the hmd manufacturers are not really accommodating a lot of different face types and head types like my friend christina wears her head her hair in a bun and Aside from the first generation daydream, there isn't a headset she can put on. And uh, yeah, there's just not really accounting for any of this stuff yet. We need like customizable straps and you know different ways of attaching things and different hinge mechanisms and just generally more comfortable stuff. Comfort needs to become a bigger thing in VR, I think. Yeah, I would really like to see a set of standardized connections mm-hmm. yeah definitely so that you can buy a good hat component from any of half a dozen different manufacturers 
and any of them will work with literally any headset. Until you've got a headset that actually has something that requires some sort of distinguishing characteristic, your your headset is not interesting enough to be worth sacrificing comfort for. Yeah. You know, we were looking at a thing yesterday that had uh, um, EEG hookups and pulse monitors built into the headset. Okay, if you're going to go that far, make your own strap. But everybody else should be kind of going, okay, so the deluxe audio strap wins. Mm-hmm. Let's progress from there and just design everything to use the same contact points that the Vive does. And that's not going to help Christina. No. But we should at least start from there and move forward, not move backwards. Well, I think the like the concept of the deluxe audio strap with you know options between having one strap down the middle or maybe two additional smaller straps down the sides in place of the middle ones you'd wear your hair in a bun things like that or just remove this the top strap entirely and just rely on the uh the side mount that goes all the way around you know just giving some options like that would be good i'm not sure how that would work with the vive because the vive is kind of heavy and that top strap pulls a lot of the weight off your face so you definitely have to think about that. Eventually, this will probably be solved by really good quality headsets that are approximately the scale of a pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. You know, and once we can get to that point, it won't matter. Yeah. Have you seen pictures of the Magic Leap? I have. Like it's just this big kind of kind of futuristic looking but kind of also like i'm here to line up for a wedgie kind of look like they're pretty big um but it'll be interesting to see if they ship that and if people wear them and get used to them like when airpods first shipped a year ago year and a half ago they looked really really stupid at first and now they're just like they're fine like you just kind of get used yeah. to them. Yeah, if the Magic Leap works well, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that headset doesn't look as though it's got a lot of room in there for my glasses. Yeah, that's what I was worried about when I was like zooming in on the pictures. Like, is there any pictures with glasses on? Because I don't see how this could possibly work. But honestly, if they account for that in either hardware or software like i'll spend an extra hundred bucks for some cheap lenses that go in there that are prescription mm-hmm. cool yeah yeah if i can wear it you all know. the time yeah don't charge me three grand for them but yeah i guess if i if i get to the point where i'm spending most of my work day in the mixed reality platform then i could see justifying a pair of those lenses like a, a pair of custom lenses that fit over the VR lenses. I looked at them before for the Vive and they honestly weren't that expensive, but I read some reviews on them and tons and tons of people were reporting that they basically undo whatever VR magic the lenses do to make things look like they're in 3D. Like basically it looks like you're mm. you're looking at a, a flat 2D image pressed up against your eye. So I'm like, yeah, it doesn't sound good. Maybe they had their lenses backwards. That's a possibility, but... <laughs> Um, didn't seem like something I wanted to spend money on at the time. 
I'm just not, absolutely not a contacts person. <laughs> no way. Time to risk your entire future on LASIK. Nope. No, we talked about that. I was all I was all ready to do that until Dave and another friend explained to me that, what that process would look like. That I am <laughs> never going to be ready to do that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have today. Anything else from okay. you, Dave? Nope, that covers it for me. Cool. Well, that's our show for today. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm VRHermit underscore Joe. If you get a chance, please uh, like us or recommend us on your podcast player of choice and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening.